This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. Um, I'll be honest, Michael and I have recorded a full, I think it's like an hour, hour and a half, uh, kind of just breaking down the Jets Bills debacle, looking forward to Jets Browns, just kind of talking about state of the Jets. Uh, I was publishing the episode. It took us a little longer than usual. And as I was about to hit um, it's submit to, to send it to iTunes or whatever, I checked my phone. I saw the Jets had traded for Demarius Thomas. I figured that, coupled with the Nathan Shepard suspension news and Sam Fick and the, new, the Jets' new kicker, was worth Michael and I hopping back on the on the mic to just record a few more minutes here uh, to break down some news. So Michael and I will talk about the breaking news from today. Uh, and then the the regularly scheduled uh, Cool Your Jets podcast will begin after that. But, Michael, let's just start with the biggest news, um, I guess, and that's the Demarius Thomas trade. And that's the thing that's the most fresh as it just happened minutes ago. Um, Jets trading a six-round pick to New England, the first trade uh, that the Jets have had uh, with New England since 2000 when uh, Bill Belichick went from uh, New York to New England. Michael, just kind of your initial thoughts on, on uh, you know, Gase bringing one of his former guys and another big body to the Jets receiving core. Yeah, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is really that, uh, and we, we're going to talk about it more, uh, or we did talk about it more, but you'll hear <laughs> about it more on this podcast, kind of some weird time things going on here. But uh, Gase talked a lot about, uh, kind of put some blame on the receivers for their play uh, in that Bills game. And so to see the Jets go out and make the trade for Thomas, and they also worked out uh, Kendall Wright, I think. So uh, yeah. it's pretty clear that uh, what Gase was saying wasn't just, it wasn't just talk. Uh, initially, I thought that he was kind of just, you know, you go to the receivers and you kind of put the blame on them because it's a group. It's a committee. It's e- it's easier to blame a group than kind of just throw the blame at the quarterback because uh, he's an individual. So that was kind of my initial thought. But based on these moves, it seems clear that Gase was clearly not happy uh, with what went down or the performance of that group as a whole. And obviously we're talking about Robbie Anderson and Quincy Nunwa in particular. But I think it's more so about Nunwa. He did get hurt early and he had a really unproductive game, had one catch for negative four yards. So uh, I think it has more to do with him. You know, maybe his health isn't all that good, which wouldn't be surprising because I, I think with with the Nunwa, there's no way that he's at 100 percent and producing at this level. This is, I think, his Fourth at fourth game out of the past nine in which he's been at single digits and yards uh, going back to last season. So I don't think he's at 100 percent. He just he, he can't stay healthy because, you know, this is a guy who has one of the best physiques in the in, in the league at that position. And we've seen him do some really special things with it. But uh, he probably isn't at 100 percent. And even if he is, he didn't perform well at all in that game. So uh, whatever the reason may be, I mm-hmm. think it's clear that. Gase isn't too high on the way Anunwa played and, you know, to an extent, Robbie Anderson, but obviously Robbie is still the top outside guy uh, in this receiver group. But even so, I think Thomas adds depth and, you know, at, at best he can push Quincy for that third spot because 
you're looking at last year, even in a career worse year or his worst year uh, since his rookie season, he's uh, Thomas still averaged more yards per game than Anunua. He scored five touchdowns. Uh, actually, the I think the third season in a row that he scored five touchdowns. So he could still get open in the red zone, make some plays there. And that's something the Jets have lacked, or the Jets do lack in this receiver group, is a guy who can make plays in the red zone. I mean, we saw it in the Bills game that they're going to their running back in the red zone with Chris Herndon out. They're throwing jump balls to Le'Veon Bell on two-point conversions. So to have a guy in Thomas who has some size is going to be a huge plus. But obviously he isn't the same player. But I think at best he can push Anunua for that third spot. He had five touchdowns last season. And I'm looking at it now. So he had that's the third season in a row he put up five touchdowns. So that's a solid mm-hmm. number uh, if you can get that out of your third guy. And Anunua only has five touchdowns in his career. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of throwing Anunua under the bus a lot here. I love his cool. skill set, but just the production hasn't been there. I think it's clear he's not healthy. But, you know, at best you're getting some depth. Josh Bellamy is the fourth receiver on this team. Braxton Berrios is the fifth guy. And you had nobody after that. So at worst, he gives you some good depth of veteran presence. All that stuff. But, you know, at best, I think he could have a little bit left in the tank to be that third guy. But uh, he's obviously not here to be the new number one or anything like that. But just to give the Jets some size in the red zone and hopefully a guy who could just and Gase talked a lot about, you know, option routes, stuff like that, because there's a lot more, you know, savvy and decision making that goes into it than it seems uh, more so than just beating your man. So I think uh, for I think that's definitely a help, too. And also the connection is there with Gase, like having coached him in yeah. Denver when he's the receivers coach, offensive coordinator. So the connections there, he brings veteran presence, potentially some red zone, uh, some size in the red zone, which the, which the Jets don't have at that position. So uh, it, it's a nice a nice depth add, and at best he could be that number three guy. Yeah, I I, th- I mean, I think you covered it all there. Um, just a few things uh, I want to touch on that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, we, we'd been talking about all offseason, how the Jets do not have another big body on this roster outside of Anunwa, and Anunwa's a guy who's just struggled with injuries really since uh, that injury that, that took him out of the 2017 season. Uh, and I guess all, his whole career, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that the Jets brought in a, a big body. I like Thomas. He had his best years under Gase. Uh, we had talked about adding him as a free agent, but I'm fine trading a late round pick for, for a vet. Let's just hope that six rounder doesn't become a, a future six time all pro and, and you actually pointed or whatever. Out, I saw that they essentially traded Perry Nickerson for him. Yes. Except Nickerson just got cut. And I don't know if that was a conditional pick. So I don't want to uh, speak yeah, out yeah, of turn yeah. and whatever. And we should note that Michael, I believe you've, you've uninstalled Twitter for now. Just after <laughs> that, that jets bills. Cause people are tweeting us, you know, where's Michael? And I honestly have to be like, I don't really know. I mean, he just records these podcasts with me and then he goes and does whatever he does throughout his day. But um, will, will you be making a return to Twitter so you can now be up to date? I had to break the news to, to you of the Demarius Thomas trade like I was Adam Schefter. But will you be making a return to Twitter so you can see the the breaking news of, of the Seahawks cutting Perry Nickerson? Yeah, so I moved out of my house. I'm living in a cave now. And I don't know where I am, but it's just <laughs> the, Appalachian it's, the internet connection is good here or else I wouldn't be able to do this podcast over Skype. But you know, it's it's got good internet connection. Uh, I think we're so I I might be in Nebraska or somewhere like that. I honestly don't know, but uh, nowhere near civilization, and I don't plan on coming back until the Jets win a game. So that's fair. Uh, you know, I think that it, it well, is. Okay, we'll see that, you week eight then. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think week <laughs> eight is probably when I'll be back. But you know, I have some good food supply, some good water out here. But you know, it, it, a lot happens to a guy when your team blows a sixteen nothing lead to Josh Allen in the fourth hey, quarter. Hey, so. Hey. Past Michael and Ben have talked about this, and they will hear our therapy session in just a few moments. Um, and the other thing with the with the Demarius Thomas ad uh, for me is, you know, I think we just saw how much the Jets missed a big body like Chris Herndon. And Anun was big, 
But he's more of just, and we, we we'll talk about this later on. But he's more of that intermediate intermediate guy. He's not really that much of yeah, a red. Yeah, he, he only presence. has one red zone touchdown. Yeah, he hasn't career. been a red zone presence to this point in his career. I'm glad the Jets can add just another big body into Marius Thomas. It gives him injury uh, insurance. And yeah, I, I do think him and Nunu are going to split a lot of outside reps. I think. Uh, I think this is just a good move for Gase, just to add another one of his guys. He gets somebody he's comfortable with, another weapon for Sam. Uh, just a good move overall, um, just as long as it's six-rounder, doesn't become uh, you know, the next All-Pro, um, Hall of Fame, Super Bowl champion, whatever, uh, for the New England Patriots. Uh, moving forward, two other pieces of news. Let's talk about Nathan Shepard first, since he's probably the lesser of the two. Uh, yeah, Nathan Shepard getting suspended six games for PEDs. And I, I will say, I respect Nathan Shepard for just owning up and admitting that he did take them because it seems today anytime a player gets caught with PEDs, it's that he didn't know that this was in the banned substance list or he took something for fertility or whatever the excuses have been. Uh, Nathan Shepard is the first player that comes to mind in the, literally the past five years that has ever openly said, yes, I knew what I was doing and I took these substances, but he's certainly not the only guy to have done that. Um, very honest about, you know, it's a new regime, new coaching who's coming off a subpar year. Uh, he knew he needed to have a big training camp. He knew what he was doing. He took them and, uh, you know, it, it's going to cost him six games and potentially a roster spot. Michael, any thoughts on on the Shepard situation as a whole, how it might impact the Jets uh, if they'll keep him and just kind of your old, your old thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised he made the roster in the first place. Just him and Kyle Phillips at the end of that, uh, at the end of the roster over some receiver or cornerback depth. But you know, I mean, there might not be a spot for him when he comes back. Chris Herndon's going to be back. Brandon Copeland's going to be back. And you don't know how many was- other moves the Jets are going to make. So. Uh, there there might not be a spot for him when he comes back, but, uh, you know, he's just been super disappointing so far. And it was a questionable pick initially, you know, being an older guy from a real a much smaller college uh, than you'd ideally want a third round pick to be from uh, unless they were dominant at their level. And Shepard really was not. So uh, it was a questionable pick, but you hoped he can make an instant impact with, you know, just his plus size because he did bring that to the table. His size and athletic tools were really good. And being as old as he was, he hoped maybe, even though there was a big jump in terms of competition, he hoped that uh, his age potentially can make him an instant impact guy. And he hasn't been that. He's been uh, one of the lesser interior defensive guys in the uh, one of the lesser interior defensive tackles in the league. So uh, he's really struggled. And I, I'm not sure if he even did he play against the Bills or I don't I don't know. I don't remember him playing against the Bills. I don't yeah, know. If I'm he not was, sure if he even played in that game, but was, I don't even yeah. know if he was active. Yeah. So his Jets career might might be over, or at least his career playing appearing in a regular season game. But uh, just just another disappointing day two pick for McKagan. Yeah, uh, I agree. I don't think there's much else to add there. I think he at this point is more of a depth guy until he shows anything. He uh, I mean, he might not even, as you said, make the roster when he comes back. If he does, he's going to be at the bottom of that rotation. Disappointing pick, bad pick. Um, I would say it's it's all but certain he's a bust at this point. But who knows? Maybe he comes back from injury. Got a few guys get hurt. He can step up, whatever. But at this point, uh, I, I think it's you know safe to assume that he was a pretty bad pick. Uh, another piece of news actually just dropped uh, as well. Not huge news, Michael. Don't get too excited because I know you haven't seen this yet. Uh, the Jets worked out uh, Buffalo Bills or former Buffalo Bills quarterback uh, Tyree Jackson. And I wonder, and Gase did mention that he watched the Saints-Texans game uh, on Monday night because he mentioned Kenny Stills in, in an interview, you know, happy he was for him to score a touchdown. It didn't ultimately matter. But um, I wonder if Gase watched uh, Taysom Hill in the Saints and, you know, wondered if he could add a guy like that to his offense. Um, so, oh, I mean, I know you haven't prepared for this at all, but Tyree Jackson, 6'7", quarterback from Buffalo, played for the Bills. 
Um, it seems like if the Jets were to bring him in, he wouldn't be the number two to Trevor or, you know, the number two to Sam Darnold or replace Trevor Simeon. It seems like he would be brought in as a third QB. Do you have any thoughts on, on Adam Gase potentially adding a guy like Tyree Jackson? Now, again, they haven't signed him, so he's not officially on the roster or anything. But uh, just kind of interesting to note that they would work out a quarterback like that. Do, do you think you could see uh, Adam Gase and his uh, creative uh, genius uh, adding a guy like Jackson uh, to the lineup and uh, just another chess piece for him? Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's interesting just to I'm always for any sort of creativity. And, you know, we as Jets fans have seen a lot of years of not too much creativity on offense. So uh, anything creative or unique, I'm definitely for. But per, like personally, when I watch the Saints and I see them do that stuff with Taysom Hill, I'm usually not all that impressed. I think it's kind of gimmicky. But I'm, I mean, you know, Adam Gase is an all knowing genius. Clearly knows what he's doing better than anyone else. So uh, if, he, if he wants it, yeah, his eight point per game offense, I think he clearly <sighs> knows what he's doing. So he can go ahead and uh, add as many quarterbacks to run the ball as he wants. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see how it plays. I mean, they, they did throw a touchdown to, to Taysom Hill on Monday, so that was kind of cool. I, I don't know. I, I think the Jets had just haven't had anything like that, like a spark plug since like Brad Smith. I, I don't know if the Jets will end up signing a guy like that, but at least they tried doing it with another guy in 2012. I forget what his name was, though. I think he was oh. a really popular guy. I, I forget, though. I, oh, oh, you're being serious or you're being joking. I was trying to actually think who was that. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Tim Tebow. Memories. I think that's Tebow's first mention. Another guy, the Adam Gase coach. I think, Maybe I he's think that coming. Is, Tebow's that is, coming back. I guess, yeah, it could be an Adam Gase guy. He was his quarterback. I, yeah, literally, I haven't thought about Tim Tebow in years, and I think that's his first mention on this on this podcast. All right, last piece of news, and then we'll hop into the actual podcast. Uh, Jets uh, worked out a bunch of veteran scrub kickers, and they signed Sam Ficken. Um, overall, I mean, he was pretty bad at Penn State for two years, and then uh, this is literally off of secondhand information. I have not watched him kick or anything, but um, from my juvenile understanding of Sam Fick and my scouting report is uh, was pretty bad at for p- two years at Penn State, missed like four kicks and an extra point or something in one game where he was getting death threats. Then became pretty automatic, went to the league, uh, kicked for the Rams for a few games when Greg Zerline was hurt, um, got cut uh, because Zerline came back. Uh, then was with the Packers uh, in training camp and was uh, arguably really impressive. I was reading a lot of articles from you know Packers sources talking about um, how Ficken was saying how how much Mason Crosby's helped him and and how that Ficken will be a, a good kicker for somebody this year. Um, so overall, some positive reviews and obviously he kicked better than you know the four other guys that the Jets brought in. So Michael, your thoughts on on bringing Sam Ficken uh, Ficken um, cutting cutting Jesus cutting uh, Car- uh, Corey Vedvik. There we go. I got it. Uh, and just kind of the, the Jets changing up their whole special teams unit. Yeah, so I have the numbers in front of me. So yeah, he was pretty bad at Penn State for his first couple or his first couple years as a starter. He uh, he was at 67% in his sophomore year, uh, 65 in his junior year, and then his last season he was 83% uh, on field goals. Then extra points, he missed uh, three over his first two years and was perfect in the last year. So that's actually pretty good in college. College kickers don't usually get near the numbers that. Uh, the best guys in the NFL put up like most of the guys that have been in the Jets conversation this year were sub 70 or low 70s. So 83 percent is pretty good. And he was solid in the preseason of the Packers this year. Only tried one field goal, but he is five of five on Pats. So he was perfect in the preseason in his limited time. Uh, his kickoff numbers look good. I mean, I personally don't care about kickoffs that much, but I know that NFL teams do. And he was pretty good at generating touchbacks. Uh, and then, uh, so with the Rams, he only has six kicks in the regular season, but he only made three of them. But his long in the 
uh, among those six kicks. The longest try that he had was only 45 yards. And longest, the longest kick that he made of those three was only 34. So I don't know if he has maybe distance issues. He's maybe just a shorter range guy. But uh, from the numbers that I'm looking at, it seems like he hasn't even, even tried a 50-yard field goal in the NFL. So uh, I don't know maybe if he doesn't have like, – like I said, I don't know if he doesn't have the distance. Maybe he's a shorter range guy. But – uh, I don't know. Hopefully he can just make kicks. I mean, what else can you really say? Just put the ball through the uprates, please. Yeah, the none of this analysis matters. We'll have a lot more analysis next week when we see him kick, um, you know, Monday night against the Browns. Let's hope he's the answer because the Jets certainly cannot go, uh, you know, another few games uh, missing because their court because their kicker can't uh, hit extra points or field goals. It's just not what winning teams do. And, you know, you talked about it for, for weeks in this podcast, how there's a few teams, you know, one or two teams every year that gets this this curse where they can't find the kicker. Uh, right now it's the Jets, but, you know, maybe Sam Ficken is the answer. Um, anyways, uh, you know, let's cue the music, uh, set up the the rest of this Jets podcast, a therapy session from Jets Bills, a preview for Jets Browns. Thank you for listening to this quick news update uh, and hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. I do not know what to say, Jets Nation, uh, except welcome back to another episode of the Cooler Jets podcast. I'm your host, Ben Blessington. Uh, obviously, the Jets are coming off their first game of the season against the Buffalo Bills, and it was a lackluster debut for Adam Gase and the new-look Jets. Uh, we're going to break that all down, a little therapy session for the next 30 minutes, and then we'll look ahead to next week and the murderer's row of teams that the Jets will face over their next five games. But uh, as I said earlier, I'm Ben Blessington with Michael Nania. Michael, uh, how you doing, man? I'm not doing well, just putting it plainly. <laughs> this is, uh, I was not looking forward to this too much, but it, it could be good therapy, you know, so... Uh, you know, here we are just after all that hype and opening day losses really are just the worst because you lead into that game for months. It, you know, most games you look forward to for a week, sometimes only a couple days if it's on Thursday. But, you know, you look forward to this one game for months and months and months. And then especially this team, just all the hype surrounding this season in particular, just to lose the way they did in classic Jets fashion doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good. Yeah, I mean, it's like you, you go in over the summer for so much hype built up to this game. This is what you've been thinking about when you think of like Le'Veon Bell hitting the field and whatnot. And when your team loses, and especially in the fashion that the Jets did, and, and Michael and I were talking about this earlier, you know, new coach, new GM, new uniforms, bunch of new players, and just same old Jets is what that headline is going to say. Now, the Jets can change that narrative through the next 15 games, but not a good start. And it's also just it, when you lose, it's there's nothing worse than losing your opener. And when you do it, just it shows you the first sign of your team's own mortality because over the summer, you know, a player gets injured or whatnot. You say, well, oh, this guy can step up and you have nothing really to say that he won't. But when you see a team take an actual L in a regular season game, that clock starts ticking in your head. It's like, okay, how many more losses can we take to still be alive in the playoffs? And when you lose your first one, especially with the type of team that Buffalo is versus the type of teams that they're going to face for the next few weeks, very concerning. But I will say the sky is not completely falling. Uh, I have not lost total faith in Sam Darnold or Adam Gase or whatnot or Jamal Adams or anything. I still think this team can make the playoffs. They just got to tread water uh, for the next five games. We'll, we'll hop into that um, really quickly before we jump into this therapy session. You can follow uh, the show at CYJ pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, pretty much iTunes, Spotify, Google. Um, just search uh, Cool Your Jets. 
Uh, and you can also find this podcast on turnonthejets.com, the best place to go for Jets content. Uh, but Michael, let's let's just start off here. I mean, we, we didn't really take that many notes as far as what we wanted to talk about because I figured uh, we should just have a raw discussion on what we just watched. We've taken a day um, to to uh, soak this all in. I, I know normally Michael and I kind of wanted to record these Sunday nights and, and post on Monday mornings, but after a loss like that, I don't think I was going to hop on the mic and, and talk about it. I think it was also good to just let us soak that in and talk about it. It's now you know Monday afternoon, and, and this should be up Monday night, Tuesday morning. Um, so, Michael, let's just hop into it. Uh, I guess we'll start with Adam Gase uh, and his play calling. I, I think that's where my eyes go to first. I, I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I, for me, I was watching the game, and it just kind of felt like the Jets put Sam Darnold in bubble wrap, which is pretty much the opposite of everything you heard the entire offseason. It just seems like between the play calling and between Darnold's play, he just seemed scared and seemed timid. And granted, look, I know he wants to cut down to those turnovers, but as I said in a tweet, like I would rather Sam Darnold throw, you know, three touchdowns and an interception uh, than, you know, one touchdown and no interceptions in a clean game or whatnot. He just, Gase kind of turned him into Ryan Tannehill, which is the opposite of what every Jets fan wanted to see. A lot of short stuff underneath, didn't really take advantage of, of Darnold's mobility. His throwing on the run, his creativeness, uh, didn't take advantage of those, you know, 15 to 25 yard passing plays that we saw so effective uh, the last few games of the season. Just was a lot of underneath to Crowder, a lot of swing passes to Bell. Uh, wasn't much creativity at all. Michael, just kind of your overall thoughts on, on Adam Gase's first performance as head coach of the New York Jets. Yeah, well, uh, when I was watching the game, I honestly didn't think uh, too poorly of his play calling, really, until, I mean, there are some things I had a problem with. Uh, there's a play late in, in the fourth quarter where they, uh, they threw it on a third and one after Bell had got going, or third and fourth and one. I forget what it was. Honestly, I forget everything about that game. But uh, there really wasn't too much I had a big problem with. I think you know, playing. I think Ryan Ryan Griffin played pretty much the entire game. I think he sat for two or maybe three snaps, and Ty Montgomery only played five snaps. So I think that was pretty curious. And and you know maybe they saw something on film. They know a lot more than I do. Any of us do about you know, the opponent's game plan, stuff like that. So maybe they saw something they thought they could exploit. And Griffin is an underrated route runner. I think people kind of sleep on his receiving ability. He's never put up big numbers, but he can run routes. He is a a decent pass-catching tight end. He's not Eric Tomlinson. He can actually catch some passes. And he did make that one nice play uh, up the sideline, and he had the touchdown on that ridiculous play that got wiped out. But uh, I think that some more Montgomery probably would have helped the creativity of the offense, I think it was kind of stagnant just with the way that he used those two guys, too much Griffin, not enough Montgomery. So uh, I think that's a little curious. But, I, I, I mean, overall, I just was – I don't think it was too bad. I mean, I didn't watch the All-22 yet, and I'm probably not going to want to with this game. But, uh, I mean, Quincy Nunez, he had one catch for negative four yards. So, and, and he's had a lot of games like that. He had a few of them last year and even back in 2016, a few, where he just goes dead silent. So, I mean – his route running is a question, and uh, I just feel like, you know, again, I didn't watch all 22, but Gase did call out the receivers in the press conference, say that uh, they didn't separate or do their jobs too well. So I'll take his word for that. He's a wide receiver guy. He's been a receivers coach. Uh, I'm pretty sure he played receiver when he was in high school, but he's a receivers guy. He knows what he's talking about there. So I'll take his word for that, that the receivers weren't separating too much. But And I, I also think Sam Darnold kind of struggled. He did miss uh, Robbie Anderson on those two deep throws late in the game. Uh, and one other time early in the third quarter, I believe uh, he was Anderson was wide open on a, a crossing route in the middle of the field and Darnold missed him. But uh, I honestly didn't have too big problem with it. I'm not going to criticize it too much, not knowing, uh, not having a whole lot of context. That's not something I'm going to do. But 
it, it still is a disappointing performance overall. And obviously, when your head coach is uh, supposed to be an offensive genius, and really with this team especially, where you have Greg Williams running the defense, the offense is Gase's, that's what he's judged on more so than uh, really, even though he is the head coach, we're judging him on Darnold's development and the offense. That's why he's here. So it was disappointing to see the overall performance. But in terms of specific play calling things, other really than other than really Ty Montgomery not playing enough, I, I didn't really have uh, too many problems with him. Yeah, I mean, as Gay said in his play call uh, or in his press conferencing, uh, that the opportunities were there. You know, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, even the first drive when uh, Crowder dropped that ball, and I think it was second down or maybe it was third down or whatnot. I mean, Crowder catches that. That's 15 yards. Now you're in Buffalo territory in your first drive. They've got some momentum going. Who knows how that drive ends? Uh, as you mentioned, that Robbie Anderson crossing route or the two deep balls to Robbie or whatnot. There's a lot of different stuff where maybe it's just a, the weak one kinks that they have to work out. It, it, I will say in Gase's defense that you're right. It, it did seem like there were just a few things that – if it was just tuned up, whether it be on offensive line or on Darnold or a receiver uh, or on the, the receiving group, that, you know, those those minor mistakes turn into 15-yard plays or touchdowns or whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they should have been ready. They had to be ready, but that was our concern, especially with the offensive line not playing that much during uh, preseason. And people forget. Um, you know, I don't think Jets fans talked about this as much, is that this is a new system for Sam Darnold. He, while he is a second-year quarterback, he is – Still learning a new system. This is his first full game in the new system. And yeah, he made some mistakes. I mean, as far as Gase's play calling goes, I think it was too conservative, in my opinion. I don't think he, I think he adjusted uh, well at the start of the second half, utilizing a lot of quick passes to, to try to get the ball out of Darnold's hands uh, to, to counteract the blitz. But I, I'm critical in his play calling because I don't think he played, uh, you know, as much to Darnold's strength. And then you re- you mentioned Ryan Griffin playing instead of Ty Montgomery as much. And I know they're different positions. It clearly shows that the offense, you know, plans to have Chris Herndon uh, and plans to run through Chris Herndon. We'll see how much of a difference he makes when he comes back uh, against the Cowboys. But overall, yeah, I thought it was an underwhelming game from Gase. But if some of those things change, you know, we're probably all praising him. Uh, and yeah, even if the defense holds off uh, on those two two scoring drives, and we'll talk about the defense because I'm not going to crap all over a, a unit that scored as many points as the offense and had four takeaways, but they did allow uh, those two back-to-back uh, uh, drives by Buffalo, and they clearly were shell-shocked when Mosley went down. Um, but if the defense you know, makes those stops or even May gets that pick um, uh, that, that on the field goal drive or whatever, and the Jets win this game, I don't think it's all doom and gloom about Adam Gase's offense. I think there would be articles written about how yeah. they took a while to get started, and yeah, how there were just yeah. some minor mistakes or whatever, but it would be, look, Adam Gase, Le'Veon Bell had a great debut. The Jets got the win. Look at this amazing two-point conversion. It wouldn't really be about this. And and that those are the little things that change, you know, not just the headlines, but give you a win or a loss. And I, I, I am not lost complete faith that those little things can't get ironed out. Again, it is one game. It is the first game of the system or first game of the season, first game in a new system. I'm not completely worried. However, and we'll talk about later, these next few games made this game all the more important and the Jets didn't come through, which means they're going to have to win a game that they shouldn't. They're going to have to steal some games over the next five. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Let's keep going with this. Uh, let's talk about some good stuff. Obviously, I think all free agent uh, free agent acquisitions that I can think of uh, had a good game. I mean, we'll start with Le'Veon Bell, who, Michael, I know you were having excitement attacks over, and, and they were probably well wor- well warranted. Um, every time he got the ball, it seems like he made the first defender miss. I mean, he, and it's one game, so I'm not going to crown him king just yet, but he is probably the the best offensive player that I've seen uh, in my time watching the Jets because I, I bear I mean I barely remember Curtis Martin but as far as like 2008 to now 
as far as a skill player goes, I mean, I've only seen one game of it, but it was really impressive. And you saw the two point conversion going up and getting big, bringing that down. You saw him, you know, on the touchdown catch the low pass from from Darnold, and even just all of his runs. That fourth and one, which I literally was just a fuck. I, like I, I thought the game was over, and then all of a sudden I just see an arm stick out over the over the uh, first down line or whatever. Uh, and I was like, how that, the hell that was did he get big that time first? right there. That that yeah. one was incredible. If that's Chris Ivory, if that's Isaiah Crowell, if that's Matt Forte, Bilal Powell, any of the running, Sean Green even, if that's any of the running backs that I've witnessed uh, in, in my time watching the Jets, that is a minus three-yard loss, uh, and the Jets lose the game. At, look, the outcome didn't change, but still, that was we talked about it in our past few episodes of how the Jets finally have a big-time player, and when you have a big-time player, they need to make big-time plays in crucial moments, and Bell did. Bell was there on that final drive. Now, the play calling and whatnot, and, and Darnold and the receiving receiving core in the offensive line were not. Um, but outside of Bell, obviously Mosley and, and Poole and whatnot. So, Michael, just kind of your thoughts on, on the new Jets, the new veteran Jets, I should say, and, and how they played. Yeah, well, I want to talk about Bell a little bit. And I think he really, in pretty much every way, lived up to all the things that we hoped he'd bring to this offense. And what he did was really just the perfect representation of ways that a running back can positively impact a team. And you look at his stats, they weren't amazing. I think he had... Uh, 92 scrimmage yards or uh, 96 scrimmage yards. He had 36 receiving and uh, 60 rushing, I believe. And his yards per carry wasn't that good. I think it was uh, 3.5. So not amazing stats. But if you watch the game that you really saw how what he was doing was just pure positive impact, how running backs can help the team win games. The run blocking in this game was not good. And uh, really from one to five, from left to right, uh, Beecham all the way to Shell, and even the guys in the middle, just the run blocking wasn't good in this game, but Bell consistently was just doing what he does, keeping Darnold out of those third and longs, uh, getting getting the Jets into third and three, third and four, third and five, instead of third and ten, just by breaking that first tackle. And he was doing, and Le'Veon Bell himself talked about it a ton over the past few weeks, how excited he is, how fresh he was, and you hear that a lot from every player, how fresh they are all that stuff but he looked fresh in this game he was he would run through people bounce off tackles he would juke people out just it got to the point where you know there's that first drive of the game where uh darnold threw the swing pass to him and bell got tackled toward the six but then after that just whenever bell was out in space you just felt like it was a guarantee he was going to beat the first guy that came up to tackle him and he, he was just playing tremendous he was breaking a ton of tackles both in the pass game and in the run game, keeping the Jets out third and longs, getting yards the Jets had no biz- business getting. So that's what you want out of your running back, to create yards that aren't created for you. So, uh, yes, the Jets do have bad offensive lines. It's going to hurt his fantasy value. It's going to make his yards per carry look inefficient. But if you had an average running back uh, in that game, if you had you know, what the Jets had last year, not to knock Bilal Powell, but if you had Powell, if you had Elijah McGuire getting those carries, I, I don't even think the Jets would have scored at all in this game. But because they had Bell, and Bell actually did score all of their points. The touchdown catch was really good. It was a low throw from Darnold, and Bell picked it up and snagged it. And then the two-point conversion was just, that was the most insane they went in this game. The Jets had a pick six and a safety and five takeaways in this game, but it was a two-point conversion from Bell. You're six six one running back going up and grabbing a two-point conversion like he's a tight end. That, that was incredible, but... And um, a good even, play by Donald, by the way. Yeah, people was, are calling it's a good it luck, play by that, him. But that yeah, was a, a two perfect point conversion drive. to just throw the ball up and let him make a play. And and the fact that you can trust your running back to go make that play is just incredible. But even pass blocking, I'm not sure how often he did, but there was the one snap where he blocked and he just stonewalled a guy for like three seconds, didn't let him go anywhere. So uh, he brought the impact in every way we expected him to. But uh, I'm kind of getting tired talking about Bell. So you talk about the other guys a little bit. Let me catch my breath and. 
then I'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, you look at C.J. Mosley on the other side. He led that unit as well. I mean, you, you, Le'Veon Bell led the offense and C.J. Mosley led the defense, and it was really obvious when he got hurt. Uh, the air left the stadium. It seemed like the team played with no energy in the fourth quarter. And that's what Adam Gase talked about, apparently, t- to the team, is that when a guy goes down, it has to be next man up. You has, you can't be that uh, you know, uh, emotionally demoralized from one player going down. Now, granted, C.J. Mosley is a great player who had a great game. Obviously, the pick six, I mean, just great mental awareness to, to scoop that up and run it in on the fumble recovery. And even just his past defenses, the play he got hurt on, I don't mean to say anything, but I don't think Avery Williamson or Darren Lee is, is making that play. That was a great play by C.J. Mosley. He's a good player, and I hope he plays on Monday. I mean, with the groin, it's it's hard to tell with, with the soft tissue damage or, or you know anything with the muscle. Um, but uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to to know much. But uh, I hope he go. I hope he's a go on Monday. Uh, I think it's something to monitor because even if he plays Monday, I don't necessarily imagine that 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 he's not hurting at all. So he might be a little slower or whatnot. Um, but yeah, Mosey had a great game. Crowder, uh, I think you said he had the second most uh, receptions in Jets history yeah, or something like that. He was tied for the yeah, tied for the second most in Jets history. And and he's the only person to have 14 plus catches and not hit 100 yards. He had 14 for 99. I thought the Jets used Crowder in a in a in a role that would be great if they were taking more shots down the field. Crowder can be your underneath guy that can pick up an easy 510 when you want, but he can't be the only guy that you're throwing to. If Darnold is hitting a Nunwa for a 15 yard in route and Robbie for a deep ball or or, or even bell on a post or a swing, whatever. And then you, the play breaks down similar to what they did in the first drive and he dumps it off to Crowder and he gets, you know, 15 yards, or whatever. That's good, but that can't be your offense. Your offense can't be run by bell, dink to Crowder, dink to bell, whatever it was. And that's just kind of what it seems like. And we'll give Gase another game and, and Darnold another game to see, you know, uh, more of what this offense can be. But I, I thought Crowder was impressive. I, as we talked about, uh, Mosley and Bell were impressive. And then Brian Poole's impressive. He got the safety. He looked good, and he looked like the best corner on the field for the Jets, uh, in all honesty. And I know he's, he's best as a slot corner, but he was the best corner on the field um, for the New York Jets. And that's not even that much of a statement yeah. because we're going to talk about the corners later. Um, but overall, I think the free agents j- just look good. Anything else to, to, to add on on Mosley, Bell, Poole, or, uh, or, or Crowder? Yeah, and I agree on Poole. He played pretty good, and obviously it's a low bar to be better than Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, but he, he was pretty good. He was credited with uh, giving up only one catch for one yard on two targets, so he was really good, and, and that was a big matchup coming into this game, him against Cole Beasley, and Poole pretty much won that. Beasley made some of his own mistakes, obviously the pick six early on, but Poole in his own coverage, he was pretty good, and he was in on the safety with Jenkins, but you know Mosley was spectacular just in every single way that similar to bell does all the ways we expected mostly to make an impact he did that in this first game his run defense was good his coverage was great just being in the right place at the right time on the pick six and then on that the, the one play he made in coverage saving the touchdown that's spectacular you said it. i don't think avery williamson makes that player i don't think many inside linebackers make that play mostly's coverage really doesn't get enough credit there's a reason he got paid as much as he does and that's because he can make an impact uh, it, it's not because he's a downhill run-stopping guy, just that. It's because he can make an impact in both phases, and he did that. And then we just saw the impact that he—and you know, you don't like to see a guy get hurt in a game. I mean, obviously, it's why Jets lost, but when it does happen, you kind of get to see a little bit of what their impact is like. And with Mosley, because he went out, we got to see the defense without him for a quarter. And, you know, after they gave up three points with him in the game for three quarters, they give up 14 points on the next two drives after he goes out. And the run defense is really— where they miss him the most. Uh, Bills running backs, I believe they had 28, uh, 28 rushing yards from Frank Gore 
uh, and Singletary before Mosley went out. And Singletary had none of those, obviously. And then after Mosley went out, the Bills, uh, those two guys had 57 yards the first drive after Mosley went out. And Singletary had 70 yards on four carries, which is just insane. But uh, they missed him as soon as he went out. And you definitely saw uh, just the impact that he has with uh, see, seeing him after seeing this defense after he came out. And inside linebacker depth is a question mark we talked about. You know, can Blake Cashman, uh, we knew he was going to have a big role. And he didn't really, he didn't play until Mosley came into the game. But once Mosley went down, uh, it was on him to step up, and he really struggled at run defense. So that's going to be a question mark uh, if Mosley does miss any time, and you know even if he's not 100 percent this week. So, but really, but, but but when he was in the game, he was really really good and worth every single penny that they gave him. Uh, they're paying him a lot of money. He's the highest paid uh, off ball linebacker in the league, but he earned it in that game. With the, with the positives, and then we'll go to the negatives. We talked about the free agency or the free agents is a positive. Let's talk about the corners uh, outside of Brian Poole. And honestly, we can talk about the defense as a whole, because while people are mad at the corners, I'm not as mad as I guess I should be. Uh, and we'll see how that that develops over the next few weeks. My thinking is this. Look, I know the corners are bad. You know, the corners are bad. We all and the Jets coaches and even the players themselves know that cornerback is a weakness for this team. We knew it in August. We knew it in July. We knew it in June. We know it now that corners are not going to win this game for us. We shouldn't be surprised that Tremaine Johnson is the same player he was last year. Greg Williams is not a magician. He might have a better year than he does last year, but he's still the same player. He's going to get beat. Daryl Roberts is not a starting corner in this league. He's fine as number four, but he's not a starter. My point is, is we knew that. The defense put up eight points and they had four takeaways of their own. This was the best case scenario for the defense as a whole. They're never going to be a low yardage defense. If the Jets are going to have a top 10 defense this year with Greg Williams leading the, the, the way, and which I think they can, by the way, they're going to be a defense that is going to give up a ton of yards, but they have to be good in the red zone and they have to create turnovers. And I felt like the Jets did that for the most part today. I don't think the Bills even, Bills had one drive in the red zone or whatnot, but the Jets created turnovers. I mean, they did a good job inside the twenties. The Jets were good and they created turnovers and that's what you want. The corners are not good and they're going to give up yards and that's going to happen on Monday night too. Odo Beckham Jr. is going to make Tremaine Johnson his son, and Jarvis Landry, I don't even know what he's going to do to Daryl Roberts, but Daryl Roberts is going to be on his ass at least four times in that game. But the way the Jets can compensate it for it is if Marcus May and Jamal Adams are getting picks, that the linebackers in the front seven is stopping the run, if they're good inside the red zone and holding teams to three, and if, yeah, overall just creating turnovers. That's Greg Williams' plan this year, in my mind. I'm not that mad at the corners for, for giving up what they did. Obviously, they got shredded, but I'm expecting them to pretty much get shredded every game. The Jets' defense did their job. The corners did get shredded, but they they did their job. They did, in my mind, the best-case yeah, scenario for this team. Now, when Mosley went out, though, in that fourth quarter, they did not do their job. They did not respond well to Mosley going out. But if you look at those first three quarters, I have no really complaints with with how that defense played, even if, if Tremaine Johnson's getting burned for 15, 10 yards, uh, and that's going to be a headache all season. In my mind, I'm happy with the defense's performance. Um, you can't win— you know, if, if you're scoring as many points as your offense, and Michael, I know you're the analytic guy, but I would say this is probably the first time in NFL history that the defense has scored as many points as their offense and created four turnovers that were not capitalized on, or, or I guess we'll say four turnovers, uh, and the team didn't win. I mean, your defense balled out and we didn't win. This loss is not in the defense. It's not in the bad corners, even though they played bad. It is on plenty of other things, but yeah. Greg Williams had his unit ready. They played well. They need to respond better, uh, you know, to, to a big player going down. That's going to happen again. I mean, if you don't think that a guy like Leonard Williams or Jamal Adams or whoever pick one is going to miss a game, Tremaine Johnson, that's going to happen. And guys are going to have to step up. That's going to happen throughout the season. Their fourth quarter defense needs to improve. It, it showed it's been a problem for Leonard Williams his entire career. He just seems to get tired. 
I mean, he just it does not have good conditioning, and it seems like that happened again. He's the king of almost sacks or whatever, but overall, this defense played well. They had a good game. They had a good. They had an amazing yeah. three quarters and a, and a good game overall. But Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, and I think you put it well. If this defense is going to be good this year, and they can be good, there is a lot of talent uh, on that side of the ball. It's not going to be by forcing a lot of three outs. It's not going to be by forcing quarterbacks to have really tough games where they just can't find someone to throw the ball to. It's not going to be by putting pressure on them. It's going to be by forcing turnovers and playing good in the red zone. Like you said, uh, they can do those th- those two things well, and they showed signs of it in this game. They didn't really uh, do too good in the red zone because they didn't get a lot of opportunities because they were taking the ball away every single time. But uh, they forced a lot of turnovers. When, you, when your defense has, and they almost had seven takeaways in this game, they had four actual turnovers plus the safety, which for some reason doesn't actually count as a turnover, but five with the safety plus Marcus May had an interception that was wiped out. And he dropped an interception. So almost seven turnovers in this game. Like you said, they scored eight points and they only gave up 17. And look, the, the Bills offense is terrible. Josh Allen didn't play good in this game at all. Uh, their receivers dropped a bunch of passes. So it's not necessarily an accomplishment to dominate uh, that team in particular on your own field in the opening game of the season uh, when the team doesn't really have chemistry yet. But they did their job. It, this this loss is on the offense most of all. And and look, the corners did blow it at the end. And and look, plain simple, Johnson and Roberts were terrible. Johnson was credited with giving up 110 yards, seven catches. Roberts, uh, five catches, 77 yards. Both of them five first downs. Obviously, Roberts had uh, the touchdown that he gave up, which was terrible. And he had three penalties. One of those was on that touchdown. Uh, so both of those guys were terrible. And, you know, that's the reason that they gave up 17 points. It didn't shut the Bills out. But at the same time, your defense gets a safety, forces five turnovers, only gives up 17 points at home to Josh Allen. That The offense has got to capitalize and win that game. So, yeah, you're right. It's on the offense. And, you know, like you said, guys are going to go down. And depth is an issue with this team. We knew it was going to be. But uh, that's really what the big X factor is going to be, If how they can handle these injuries. C.J. Mosley got hurt in this first game, and he goes down. And one quarter in, everything collapses. So if, if that's how the Jets are going to respond to injuries on defense this year, it, it's probably going to be a long season. But, you know, if they can do better than that, and, you know, we'll see how guys in other positions can step up. We'll see how healthy Mosley stays, how healthy, you know, most of the defense stays. But if they're going to respond like that, and, and we should expect it, because like we said, we knew depth was going to be an issue with this team. They drafted so poorly for so long. They added 10 new guys after Joe Douglas came in. So it's not like... You know, he came in and saw this great roster that he didn't need to touch. He came in and added uh, a fifth of this team is almost a fifth of this team is new players that uh, he added without even using the draft or the free agency period. So we knew depth was going to be an issue and we already saw it in this game. But, you know, we'll see if they can, you know, hopefully get lucky enough to stay healthy. And, you know, maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle with a few guys playing better, you know, in relief. Neville Hewitt played a decent game. He kind of struggled at the end, but. No, he looked pretty solid in relief of Avery Williamson. He made an interception. interception. Yeah, and he had yep. some uh, good plays to run defense. So you hope you can get more of that from some other guys. And this was Blake Cashman's debut, too. He was thrown in in the fourth quarter, didn't really prepare to start this game. So, you know, you give him a little bit of a pass for that. Maybe he progresses as the season goes on. But, you know, we knew depth was going to be an issue. So health is more important for this team than it is for most teams because the Jets' depth is just well below average. And, you know, there's always going to be drop-off and starters get hurt. But... And I think I've said it on here before, but with a good team, the difference between good depth and bad depth is that the drop off is smaller if you have good depth. And that's what most, you know, championship level playoff teams have. And the Jets don't have that. So the drop off is going to be bigger than it is for most teams. So health is going to be extremely important for this team. And, you know, we'll see if the depth can hopefully get better, especially with young guys like Cashman, who are just getting their feet wet 
in that first game. But, you know, you said it. I think turnovers, red zone defense is the key to being good for this defense this year. And you can work around good cornerbacks and be it's it's hard to sustain that year over year to consistently be good with takeaways and red zone defense. We saw that uh, with the Jets in 2015. 2015, they took the ball away a ton of times. The red zone defense was elite. And then 2016, with mostly the same players, they were terrible, both of those things. So it's hard to sustain that year over year. That's why you need better depth. That's why you need better cornerback play, better pass rush. And the Jets don't have that. But in one season, if you do stay healthy, if you do get lucky, if you're opportunistic, you can be good in the red zone and you can force turnovers. And those things will make you a really good defense. So they mostly did that in this game. Obviously, they collapsed at the end. But uh, the defense, for the most part, you have to be happy with the way they played. Yeah, if I'm Greg Williams and I and I hear Adam Gase talk about the corners or whatever in his press conference, and it's not like Adam Gase is necessarily wrong, but if I'm Greg Williams, I'm, I'm like, what the fuck else do you expect? I have no top-tier pass rushers, or I shouldn't even say top-tier. I have no good pass rushers, and I have no good corners, and I just scored as many points as your offense and created four takeaways. This was the best-case scenario for the Jets. I mean, Jordan Jenkins looked good. I will say, however— and this is another negative, I guess, for the defense is I think Jamal Adams had a character uncharacteristically underwhelming game. I don't think he, I mean, he just seemed a little off. And again, that's yeah, one of those I, weak I actually, one things. With, can I talk about Jamal a little bit? I have yeah, sure. a few. So I think that there were, he did make some good plays. There was that one tackle. I think it was a screen pass yeah. he made, which was a really yeah. good tackle. So I think he had, I didn't a, say couple, he had a bad game. I didn't say yeah, he had a bad game. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just think that you know, last last year we got used to seeing him being just just dominating games, and whether it was as a blitzer and coverage, uh, just wherever he was making an impact, and he didn't really do that. I feel like a couple of his blitzes, he probably should have had a sack and couldn't come up with one, because uh, there were a few pass rushes he had where he was, Josh Allen had no idea he was there, but somehow he couldn't come up with it, so I think there were a few pass rushes he were he wasn't too good on, and I think uh, part of the he's part of those run, de- run defending struggles in the second half. I mean, uh, at least on the some of the replay views they were showing, it kind of looked like you know he was out of the picture, getting washed out by a few blocks. So it wasn't a bad game. He had some good plays, and I think on the safety, I, I'm not sure if anyone has really talked about it, but on the one of the replays they showed, it really looked like Jamal kind of uh, made the penetration that forced Frank Gore to go into. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Frank Gore, but I, I think Jamal had the had the penetration that kind of forced him into uh, Jordan Jenkins and Brian Poole. So he did make some good plays. He wasn't bad by any stretch, but he wasn't a superstar either. Yeah, and look, I agree with that assessment. I would just say he wasn't as good as we saw last year, but he still made plays, and he wasn't bad by any stretch. The safety duo, if if May plays like he did last week, the whole season, I am so excited. May was really because, good, though. Because yeah. a great safety duo like that, if they're both playing or firing on all cylinders, can really overshadow some of the bad corner play. Um, and so, look, the, I mean, there are a lot of negatives in this game. We're going to talk about a few more. We'll move on uh, to talk about Cleveland and some other stuff, some big picture stuff. But overall, you have to be happy with the defense's performance. Uh, CJ Mosley getting hurt. They have to work on how they're going to respond to that. But overall, I, I was happy uh, w- with that performance. I, I'd expect next week, and I guess we'll, we'll talk about next week towards the end of this podcast, but I'd, I'd expect next week a lot more blitzes after they saw how Baker Mayfield handled them against uh, Tennessee. I don't know if Greg Williams blitzed that much against Josh Allen. I think he was trying to make force Josh Allen to play quarterback, and that, that was the game plan, and that was fine. They created a lot of turnovers. But I expect next week that you're going to see a lot of guys rotating in and out and just blitzing the crap out of Baker Mayfield and playing those underneath routes because the Browns are watching the Jets and saying, look how bad these corners are. Let's just get the ball out of the hands on these 10-yard slants or whatever, just in routes, just anything against man coverage. And so I think the Jets are going to play a lot underneath, blitz a lot, and keep May over the top. But uh, – Last kind of underwhelming negativity stuff, 
about this game before we move on. And let's just talk about kind of the offense as a whole, specifically with Darnold. Uh, and yeah, the way I feel about Adams, I guess, is the way I feel about Darnold, maybe more so, is that, yeah, he was underwhelming. He wasn't he wasn't bad. I mean, I think you have a bit of a different take. I don't think he was horrendous. I mean, I, I he doesn't look like he did against, you know, Cleveland week two last year, or Jacksonville, and he shouldn't. He's a, he's a sophomore quarterback now. Um, and he made some good plays. I mean, that that overthrow in the second to last drive, and Gase alluded to it, and now that I've, I've Rich Samini put it on his Instagram and I've watched it, Sam throws that ball to a spot. This is a second to last drive. He throws a deep ball to Robbie Anderson, and a lot of people get on Sam for overthrowing this. But if you watch, yeah, Robbie stumbles, and it throws it off by a few yards, and Sam is thrown to a spot, and that ball would have been there perfectly for the game winner, but Robbie stumbles. Uh, then the, uh, I mean, the other things about Darnold, I mean, yeah, he missed – he didn't look like his feet looked like he was a rookie. And I'll just be honest. I mean, there, yes, he can make plays with his arm. Yes, he can rely on these off balance, off platform throws and throw some dots. I mean, and he can make stuff happen. Some magical stuff happen. I mean, you saw it in that our touchdown drive, the, the weird you know chest pass to Ryan Griffin or even the two point conversion. He can make stuff like that happen. But when you get too reliant on it and you saw it on the underthrow to Robbie uh, later in the game, I think the next drive where he would have had Robbie for a huge touchdown. Uh, if he just could step into the throw and fire a bullet or whatever, and Robbie would have been there for a touchdown. But instead, he underthrows it. Robbie doesn't really necessarily fight for it. It's incomplete, whatever. Darnold had time. Darnold had time in that play. He had time to, you know, he could fade left like he was, but he needs to step up in the pocket. And part of that might have just been the beating he took all game. He has a great innate feel for pressure, and I think part of him got a little too uh, sensitive to that pressure because he had a few more seconds. If he wanted to just step in and fire it, Robbie would have been open for the touchdown. Um, the offensive line clearly showed their, their chemistry issues. And Michael, I don't know if you want to touch on this a, a little bit, but yeah, I mean, Ryan Kula looked rusty. Brian Winters looked pretty awful and Kalechi assembly was a little underwhelming, but look, I mean, he hasn't played since the first game of, uh, of preseason. Um, so he looked a little underwhelming and then the tackles looked bad. Um, so Darnold was just under duress all day. And this makes Bell's performance even more impressive. The fact that he did all that with a terrible offensive line in front of him, they had a bad game. Uh, and it won't necessarily show up on PFF or whatever because Bell is the reason that offensive line uh, will look good in any sort of rushing category this year because they did not look good uh, last year. And, it, and it's encouraging for the you know for the future of this season because people have talked about how you know Bell's a product of of Pittsburgh's offensive line and his patient style won't work with New York. It did. He waited for some blocks to develop and he took advantage of them. Even if guys were in the backfield, he made a miss. Um, but the offensive line has got to get that chemistry together. Donald's got to clean up some of those stuff. Uh, and then as far as the receivers go, I mean, yeah, they didn't make some plays. But overall, these are things that can be worked out as Adam Gase was stressing. But, Michael, kind of your thoughts on, on the offense's underwhelming performance? Yeah, and I think with Darnold, I kind of overreacted a little bit. I was saying that he was god-awful or whatever. I, I mean, I don't think he was that bad. You know, he didn't throw an interception on 41 passes. That's really good, even though they are conservative. It's now his fourth game in a row. Without an interception, that's the second longest active streak in the league. Only Matthew uh, Matt Stafford has five in a row right now. So uh, that's really good. That's definitely positive. And he didn't fumble the ball again. And and that's really good. And that gave the Jets an advantage that, you know, they should have been able to, you know, take advantage of to win. But uh, not turning the ball over is really good. So he deserves credit for that. But, you know, I, I did think he kind of struggled in this game, uh, you know, more than I think a lot of people are kind of, you know, giving him or not credit for, but I think, he, I think he struggled more than most people kind of think that's, that's just my opinion on it because, you know, last year we saw against the Texans and the Packers, uh, Darnold got no help in that game. And what did he do? He came out and had 
the two games of his life that kind of that we ran with throughout this entire offseason that gave us the confidence that he was going to be superstar this season. In those two games, he was going up against Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they scored a combined 73 points in those two games. His running backs were getting less than three yards per carry. They were dropping passes. Uh, uh, Trent Cannon and Elijah McGuire were giving up pressure. The offensive line was terrible. Uh, the receivers were dropping passes. One of those games, uh, I think Elijah McGuire lost a fumble. So he had zero help in those games. That was zero help. But then he still went out there and played some really, really good football. But in this game, he was playing against Josh Allen, who had three points in the first three quarters of the game. Uh, none of his teammates turned the ball over. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is playing spectacular. Him and Crowder gave Darnold a ton of yardage after the catch, uh, and they bailed him out with a few really good catches. So I, I just think that, you know, the offensive line wasn't good in this game. And, you know, that's obvious. The run blocking was terrible. The pass protection was really, really bad. It, it, they looked exactly like an offensive line, you know, that was playing its very first game together. They looked uh, exactly as you would expect, uh, given the lack of chemistry. But so the offensive line wasn't bad, but I still think independent of that, you know, the, the Jets didn't need a lot. From him to win this game they just need him to hit just make a couple really good plus throws uh just hit a couple of just just some of the plays we saw in those texans and packers games uh just and the bills game he actually when he beat the bills on the road last year just you know making something happen and he didn't really and i don't think he got too many opportunities to do that i think that's one a legitimate uh criticism of gase because that was something that the jets did a lot at the end last season and i think jeremy bates deserves a little bit of credit for that they were rolling darnold out just just out by design a lot at the end last season, and he really took advantage of that and played well, but we didn't see too much of that against uh, against the Bills, so I think uh, more rollouts could be really good for him going forward, and again, maybe it's something he saw on tape because, you know, the Bills were batting down a lot of passes in this game, so I think, you know, maybe they were just kind of trying to play some more contained, kind of like the Jets were against Allen, but, you know, still, I think Darnold missed some throws he should have hit, and, you know, looking back at the tape on that one, you know, like you said, uh, Samini put out the clip, Gase talked about it, you know, that deep ball with Robbie was, you know, maybe not as bad as it looked on TV, but I still think there are a few plays, you know, like the touchdown to Bell, Bell bailed him, uh, Bell bailed him out by uh, pulling in that low pass. I think uh, there was one in the, I think it was in the third quarter where Robbie's wide open and Darnold missed him on a cross ra- crossing route or a dig or something like that. Uh, and there was a the, the one sack, not that Bedvick would have made the field goal, but there was one sack that Darnold took that he probably shouldn't have that knocked the Jets out of that, you know, midway point of where they could have potentially gone for it or kicked a field goal. So, you know, I think he struggled a little bit in this game and he threw for only 4.3 yards per attempt, which was, you know, worse than any game he had last season. So a career low. And, you know, part of that is just on the kind of check down play calling, the fact that Nunwa didn't play too well, uh, some of the route running issues downfield. But I, I, he, it definitely was an underwhelming game from his part. I don't think he's off the hook. Uh, because the offensive line, uh, the receivers, any of those things, he got a lot of help from Bell and Crowder, and I just think that he de- it definitely was a bad. I think it was a bad game from him. I just think plain and simple it was. Was it the worst game he's played? Absolutely not. You look at he didn't struggle with turnovers like he did early last season. He wasn't incompetent like he was in a couple games last season. He definitely is ahead of that and progressed in that way, just in terms of comfort. But the playmaking wasn't there, and I think. You know, the Jets didn't need too much from him to win this game, and he wasn't able to deliver. So he can definitely recover. There's a ton of time. It's nothing to overreact to. But, you know, it definitely was an underwhelming performance. But there's there's def- there's 15 games left. It's one game out of 16. So hopefully it goes down as his worst game of the season and just an outlier in a, se- in a, in a breakout season for him. But, you know, it definitely was a little underwhelming uh, from his part. And I think he, do- he does deserve uh, some blame for the loss. And it- it's his second year now. So I think yeah. that... Uh, 
you should kind of stop just giving them passes and really yeah. kind of expect I mean, a progression. But uh, it was un- yeah, a little I mean, underwhelming for me. Yeah, there should be a progression. Although, yeah, it, it is a new system for him. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of little things that would have changed the entire complexion of this game. I mean, if Crowder catches that pass in the first drive, if Robbie doesn't stumble, there's a lot of different things where I think, give it another week, watch the film, and I could I. I don't know if you're going to see the same team on Sunday that you'll see on Monday. Um, that's kind of my overall feel with it. I think you're right. We should we should stop doing predictions because uh, obviously my prediction was off uh, for this game. But after watching the game, uh, there are some positives to, to take away. The, the sky is not completely falling. The Jets should have won this game. They easily could be 1-0 and right now. They're not. They're going to have to make up for it with one of these games or hopefully a few of these games over the next few ga- uh, five weeks. But um, there, there's some stuff that clean it up that this team could be still be a 10 win team, nine win team. And, and we'll see how that all plays out. But I was trying to explain, oh, actually, before we, before we move on to, uh, to Cleveland and whatnot, the last thing I guess we should touch on is the special teams. Uh, overall, I think lack punting the ball had a good game. Uh, he was we were, great punting yeah, the we ball. Were, we were, yeah, we, 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 we got to give him credit for that. He set up that safety and he did set up that, and two down that punt. Good job. Yeah. Special teams outside of the, the kicking game. Uh, it was good. Brant Boyer doing another great job. Now let's talk about kicking. Corey Vedvik is probably out of here. I mean, they could give him another week tomorrow or so when this episode comes out or when you're listening to it, they might have already signed a new kicker. So I don't want to spend too much time on Corey Vedvik. But yeah, an underwhelming performance for him. He needed to be better. I will give him the benefit of the doubt on the, the field goal, which people aren't really talking about. His lack did botch that snap. Supreme Emperor, Lord God. Lack Edwards. Uh, listen, it, I, it was a it high snap. That, Tennessee it was a had high a, snap. a bad snap there. Okay. It was a good recovery. The operation was off. Let's just put it that way. It wasn't like... Right, because the snap. Bad, uh, it was a good hold. He could have com- not caught it at all, but he actually got it down. It was he a did, great play. Okay, I understand I'm attacking your man here. I, I will give him credit that he didn't pull a Tony Romo and just give up on the play or whatever. He did catch it. He bobbled it. He put it face down, but he was able to get it up and spin the laces at the last second. But... It throws off Corey Vedvik's timing. Instead of just line up, run, and kick, he has to line up, run, oh, stutter. Yes, but that's because the snap on. by Hennessy. I don't think it's on Edwards at right, all. Right. It first starts with with Hennessy, but Lack's job as a as a holder is to combat that. I'm not saying it's all in Lack. It starts with Hennessy, but Lack didn't do as good of a job as he could have. He could have caught the high snap and brought it down as, as he's done throughout his career. Uh, but it threw off the timing for Corey Vedvik, and I think – They'll take that into equation, but overall special teams was, was a negative as far as the kicking game goes. But again, positives. There's positives on all three. I mean, Bell's a positive. Some of some of the things can be cleaned up on offense to make that a huge positive. Defense played great. They need to work on the obviously the corners are going to get toast all season. And on special teams, as you mentioned, Lack looked good punting the football. Trenton Cannon had a good job downing a punt. Uh, you know, Braxton Barrios had like a three yard return. It looked fine, um, but he caught it. Um, but overall, I mean, there's just my takeaway from this game, unless there's anything else you'd, you'd like to add in the kickers, would be yeah. called for just a mm-hmm. lot of things where if they can just work on that, this can be a good team. And yeah. we said it. This is a team that's going to start out two and four at best, three and three, maybe one and five. And we're looking at reality that where they could start 0 and six. The, the Colts last year went one and five and made the playoffs. This season will not be over as long as the Jets can win a game or two in these next five games. That's kind of the way I, I'm feeling. They need to tread water. So that when they're after that Monday night game against New England, you know, hopefully they win that have some momentum. The rest of their schedule is significantly easy, you know, significantly easier. You never know how teams are going to be. Look, the Bengals are good yesterday, even though they lost. So that could be a hard, harder game than we're expecting. And, you know, the Redskins play the Eagles tough. So there's a lot of a lot of different things. But there are also good teams the next few weeks that could could be not as good. 
the Eagles almost lost the game to the Redskins. They came back and won or whatnot. But there are a lot of little things that they can work on over these next few games. And if they can get it right, this is still a good team in my mind. They have no depth, but this is still a good team. Uh, Michael, your thought on, on the special teams and then moving forward as far as these next five games and the, the importance of, of just grabbing two, um, you know, hopefully three, but, you know, just grabbing one or two of these games to, to keep them alive and keep them, um, as Adam Gay said, uh, playing meaningful games in, in December. Yeah, so just, just overall, and I think you kind of said it a few times, just the, the way the final result really kind of changes the way you think about everything. The Jets lost this game by one point. They had a kicker who missed an extra point and a field goal. So, you know, say he makes the field goal and the Jets win by two points. Uh, just the, the result really affects how you look at every single aspect of everything. Everything that was positive, you look at more negatively if they lose. And everything that was negative, you look at, you know, more intensely uh, just because they lost the game. And then if they won, we'd be focusing on these positives a lot more. And, you know, the downs, just like the offense, Sam Darnold, Adam Gase, things like that. We wouldn't care about as much because they won the game. But, uh, you know, the result, even even though the difference between a win and a loss can be one play, two plays, one bounce, one catch, or whatever it may be, uh, that one play, just the difference of that result affects everything. And, you know, that's the way it should be. Winning and lo- it's not... It's about winning and losing. It's not about losing by one instead of losing by 30. It's about getting those wins. But at the same time, when you're analyzing everything individually, whether you're looking at, you know, one player, whether it be Mosley or Cashman, or you're just looking at the run defense, pass defense, the passing offense, the rushing attack, the offensive line, when you're just looking at one unit individually, then the outcome of the game shouldn't really affect the way you look at that. And there's still a lot of positive things that happened in this game. The guys that the Jets went out and spent money on, they delivered. Brian Poole, Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley were, you know, maybe the three best players on the field for the Jets with the way they played. And, you know, I I put Poole in there, but specifically Mosley and Bell, those two guys were superstars in this game. And the Jets pay those guys money to do that. So uh, there's a lot of there's there are positive things come out of this game. There are some really bad negatives that they got to clean up. But, you know, when this when when you blow a game the way the Jets do, when you lose, uh, you kind of. And naturally, it's obviously expected. It's not like uh, people shouldn't be this way, but you're going to focus on the negatives a lot more and kind of throw the positives aside. But, you know, there there are some really good positive things going forward. If C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell uh, can play the way they did in this game for 15 more games, the Jets are going to be in position to be a really good team if they could uh, just clean up some of the other issues. And Sam Darnold's not going to play this bad all season. Uh, throwing for four yards per attempt just isn't going to happen. But if he can keep the turnovers down the way he did in this game, but just, you know, get back to a normal level in terms of moving the football, then he could be a solid quarterback. And, you know, like I said, just if you have Bell Mosley playing at a superstar level like they, and again, that's not sustainable either. The same way the bad things aren't sustainable, uh, the really good things aren't going to be that sustainable either. But both those guys showed you that they are 100% capable of delivering on their contracts and uh, being as impactful as the Jets paid them to be. So there's still a lot of positive things uh, in this game. So, you know, they lost. It was really terrible, and it, it just yeah. feels awful. But Our, they're, they're, the, the core is still there. The things that we thought could make the Jets good this year, we saw most of those things on display. Not on the offensive side of the ball so much, but uh, a lot of the things we thought that could make the Jets good, we saw and then some in this game. Yeah. And look, yeah, I think I think you're going to see next week that the Jets are going to be a lot more aggressive on offense. I don't think Adam Gase is stupid. I think he knows that this is his second go around as a head coach. And and look, if he if the Jets are underwhelming and significantly underwhelming in this season, I would not be surprised to see the Jets pull the ripcord after after a year. I mean, look, I know Joe Douglas and him are friends, and I know that they don't want to give out Sam Darnold a third system in his third year. But Chris Johnson knows that he needs to have Sam. He can't ruin Sam Darnold's development. And 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, so. I think you're going to see on Monday night that that Adam Gaze is going to come out uh, and he's going to fire the football downfield. I think you're going to see Quincy Nunwa and Robbie Anderson involved a lot more, and I think you're going to see Jameson Crowder involved uh, less so on those those little you know quick two yard passes or whatnot, but maybe getting more down the field as well. I think you're going to see him attack Cleveland uh, and, and their secondary. Now I will say Cleveland has a good pass rusher. You're still going to see those little, you know, uh, out routes to, to Crowder and the swing passes to Bell and whatnot. But I think if they can open the game up with play action, I mean, you saw Cleveland got absolutely destroyed by Tennessee. And that worries me a little bit because this, these are now two very hungry teams that are 0-1 and somebody's going to be 0-2 and the other is going to be 1-1. One one. Both teams with a lot of you know, expectations, both teams with young quarterbacks, both teams with a lot of acquisitions in the offseason with new coaches. This is going to be an absolute dogfight on Monday night. Uh, and I'm excited for it. But I think you're going to see Adam Gase you know, take a shot early in the game. I think you're going to see him push the ball early, get the ball to Bell, use Montgomery more, start grounding the football. And if they can just... If Bell can just start creating yardage uh, and, and force Cleveland to not keep eight in the box, he can run play action, fool some of those linebackers like Marcus Mariota did, uh, and attack uh, downfield. Uh, I was trying to uh, put this in, in perspective as, as we kind of shift towards Cleveland talk as to why this loss was so demoralizing and why really any Jets loss is demoralizing. If you're listening to this podcast, I would imagine you felt the same way on Monday, that it it really ruins your day. When you wake up for Monday, it's it's even shittier than a normal Monday is, and it it, it kind of ruins your week. You just think about it all week. Oh, what if Robbie Anderson, you know, could have brought that ball in from Sam Darnold? What if he didn't stumble there? What if the, if Daryl Roberts can just stop Josh Allen? Whatever, all the what ifs run through your head, and it just really ruins your whole week. And I was trying to explain it to to a friend of mine who was asking, you know, why why do you even care? You know, this doesn't really matter. And and to in fairness to them. They're right. This is a pretty insane thing to care this much about, to have it ruin your whole day and arguably your whole week because, you know, 53 guys didn't perform better than another set of 53 guys and whatever. I tried to explain it like this um, because they, they they were like, oh, well, you didn't even put money on the game. In a way, I feel like I put emotional money. I, I was like, if you put $1,000 on a game and then the team you bet on blew a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter and lost and now you're out $1,000, how would you feel? How would you feel for the rest of the day? How would you feel the next day on Monday? How would you feel for the rest rest of your week? It would feel awful. And that's kind of what it feels like emotionally. But then it's like, oh, well, next Monday I can earn that money back with $1,000. And, you know, the more thousands you stack, the better it feels. Playoff games are 5,000. The Super Bowl win is a million, whatever. That's just kind of how emotionally when you spend this much time and this much effort, you don't have a podcast, but even if you don't have a podcast, you follow you this team, you read about this team, you spend a lot of your time, your free time watching the Jets, listening to the Jets, reading the Jets, you know, waiting for this game and that they lose is just so demoralizing. Uh, and, and Michael, I know you agreed with this. I feel like that was the best way I could describe it to a person who doesn't, um, you know, isn't a diehard fan. So if you have a wife, uh, a, a husband, a, a kid or whatever, uh, a friend that just doesn't get your, your obsession with the Jets and why your week this week will be shittier than, you know, usual and you'll be in a worse mood. I guess I would use that analogy. But, Michael, kind of your overall thoughts on on <laughs> how shitty it feels to be a Jets fan right now? Yeah, man. I, I, you, I mean, you put it good. It's just it, it's not dollars and cents. It's just the time you put into it, uh, especially when you do like like for me in particular, like doing this podcast every week and just the constant every single day writing, tweeting about the Jets, whatever. It's it's time. And, you know, time can be more valuable than money. So uh, just with the amount of time you put into it, it makes it feel really bad when uh, and especially with this loss in particular. It's just the fact that this the whole theme of this offseason was about things being different. The Jets added, you know, all these, these big money players. They changed the logo to this awesome new oval, which is more football <laughs> shaped. 
Uh, they made the green lighter. They changed the I, uniform. I will say on the, on the logo, I, I'm starting to see a bit more of a jet in that that football when I saw it in the helmet. So I was kind of looking at it. It does it does kind of maybe I'm just searching too hard, but I was looking at the logo and and I didn't like it at first. But I'm yeah, trying to... it, it's like pointy and sleek. I like it, and that's just the theme of this off season, you know, just sleek and new and different. But then to just come out and do the most jetsy thing of all, just have the most it, the jets most same old Jets loss. Of Ever. all time, yeah, just I know. To open the season, just new, new people, new coach, new quarterback, just the same old thing, and just I, I'm not even like this. I'm not like a Jets defeating old, kind of yeah. person who's like, oh, same old Jets, everything. It's like I'm as, and you know, just listening to this podcast, you should know, like I'm be, trying to be very objective with everything, but this is just as it fits to the T of a Jets loss, as, as close as you possibly can, but. Uh, it, it's just terrible. It's awful. <laughs> and like a bad gambler, Michael. And, and look, wait, I, I just keep my cool on this podcast, but like after that came, man, <laughs> it's just like it. I'm like just sitting there, like depressed. It, it's crazy. Oh, just I'd like go for a, the, the psychological go. implications, of just how and why you get so invested in this stuff. And, and like you put it, just it's like, oh, why 53 random guys who I've never met, never talked to, never will talk to, uh, why they didn't outperform another set of 53 random guys and. You know, if one of those guys, and just based on what color shirts those guys wear, it's not like I like any of those guys particularly much. It's just because they're employed by this specific team and not this other team. And it's just so weird. Like, why? And, and this is what these losses do. Like, we should be sitting here talking about how good Darnold was and how <laughs> still we're, we're happy thinking we are. about life. But I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, like, I'm just like contemplating life. That's what this why, is. What why losing do I care? Does. This is what happens yeah. when you get invested. I guess it's a loser's mentality. But as I was gonna say, uh, like a bad gambler, Michael. Let's put another thousand uh, down for Monday night and watching the Jets and Browns. Yeah, that's kind of my mentality. This is my yeah. Jets mentality. It's, it's like just, with it's, every loss, with every loss they have, all these bad ones, all the four and twelve seasons, every pass Bryce Petty throws, every time Jalen Marshall tried to return a kick, it's just like another rubber band on the rubber band ball. And it keeps getting bigger and the bigger it gets, the more reward it is next time they win. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people are like, well, why wasn't I born a new England Patriots fan? And I could watch whatever sport they were playing last night as they blew out the Steelers. It's like, it will be so much sweeter when the jets can finally get it right. If they ever do finally get it right. And I, I do believe in, in this team, uh, not not actually this year's team, but I do believe in, in Joe Douglas and Sam Darnold, and, and we'll we'll see. It's one game. I guess that the message that I have right now is just, it's one game. It's an early game, and you saw a lot of the reasons the Jets lost was somewhat encouraging because the reasons they lost were fixable mistakes, a lot of small little details that are expected when you have a new coach and it's week one. You know, it's not like they necessarily lost because of a dearth of talent or anything. That was the opposite. They weren't the Dolphins and got the you know, the shit kicked out of them. They weren't even the Browns who had all this expectations. It could do nothing. The Jets did do a lot of positive stuff in this game. There are a lot of positive takeaways, just the small negative, you know, negative uh, stuff that happens throughout this game is just what's going to overshadow it. But look, the Jets get a dominant win on Monday night or anything similar to what they had in 2016. And I actually compared this loss to 2016's opener against the Bengals, where we asked, "Oh my God, it's so similar to that, so similar." And then they came back on on Thursday night, this time it'll be Monday night, and had a big primetime victory against the Bills. Now their season after that went way downhill, but if the Jets could do something like that, if you remember after that Bills game, nobody was talking about the Bengals' debacle. Everybody was talking about, "Oh, Fitzpatrick threw for 300 yards, he won AFC Offensive Player, whatever." The Jets can redeem themselves on Monday if they could tighten up a lot of those little mistakes. They have the talent. They can beat the Browns, and they can right the ship to 1-1. One one. So let's talk about it. Let's put another 1,000 down. 
let's go deeper. Let's, you know, dig a deeper hole or whatnot. Uh, let's talk about this game. Uh, I guess I'll start with, and we, we've been talking about how important these next five games are. They need to win two, hopefully three. Uh, and I think this is their best shot at winning one right now, coming off of, of last week's game. They have an extra day to prepare, an extra day to get healthy. Hopefully Mosley plays. Hopefully Quinton Williams plays. Michael, what do the Jets need to focus on if they want to win this game? What are your, if we were, you know, uh, who, who even does Monday Night Football anymore? Um, what's his name? Booger McFarlane and that other. Okay, anyways, if you're just the color commentator, your keys to the game, Michael's keys to the game, you know, that that pregame, you know, whatever gets you hyped up, just Michael's three keys to the game for the Jets. What do they have to, to stop the Browns from doing and what do they have to do themselves if they want to win this game? Well, first of all, if I'm going to be a Monday Night Football commentator, so I'm going to follow the Jason Witten model. And next year, you're going to see me playing tight end for the Jets next to Chris Herndon. Me and him are going to be the uh, the next. Actually, I, a, a duo came to mind, but I'm not going to say that because it includes a guy who's kind of controversial. But we're going to be a, a really good tight end duo in the AFC East, me and Chris Herndon, after I really uh, kind of bomb in the Monday Night Football booth this season. But uh, actually, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be a really good analyst here because that's kind of my game. So uh, to beat the Browns. You saw <laughs> yeah, I don't turnovers. think your game is tight end, Michael. No, I don't think so. I'm kind of too skinny for that. But I think to beat, <laughs> you to got beat that the Robbie Browns, Anderson build, just like me. Yeah, I don't have the speed, though. I mean, let's be honest. I don't have any physical tools to play in the NFL. That's just the hey, facts. Hey, neither did Tom Brady, except an arm and I guess a mind. Yeah, I mean, I could be him. You know, he's got the mind. I actually do have the mind. I could be Tom Brady. There you go. But just a Tom Brady's arm and his years of playing football. You could be Tom. Yeah, Brady. I mean, I mean, he does have that. It's kind of valuable. But, you know, let, let's talk about the Browns here. It's kind of big. So I, I think the turnovers are big. And we talked about it with this defense that uh, this is going to be have to be an opportunistic defense when in the red zone forced turnovers. And, you know, they did that for the most part. I mean, I mean, the red zone wasn't good. They only had the two opportunities in the red zone, but they really where they held up well was kind of in that uh, on their side of the, in kind of that 50 to 20 yard range outside the red zone. Uh, Cause they weren't, they didn't force, I don't think they had any three and outs in this game uh, defensively, but they, what they did do was really stop the bills outside that red zone, like on the edge of that field goal range. That's where they held up really well, forced those turnovers. So uh, I think the Browns are going to be really dangerous in that range because what the bills and, you know, they did have the, game-winning touchdown, but Josh Allen didn't really give them much of a deep threat in this game until that uh, game-winner to John Brown, but Baker Mayfield to, uh, you know, the weapons they have, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, all the guys they have, even David Njoku, that's going to be a threat in that range, so uh, they're going to have to hold up, just bend but don't break. I don't care if Tremaine Johnson gives up six first downs again, Daryl Roberts gives up seven, just as long as you don't give up that deep play, that's going to be big, so force turnovers, don't give up those deep bombs, and look, the Jets did that in this game as bad as Johnson and Roberts were, especially on the stat sheet. They didn't give up that bomb until uh, that uh, the play to John Brown late in the game. So obviously you don't want any of those to happen, but as Ben, but don't break is kind of mentality. These guys are not going to lock anybody down. And, and you know, it could happen every now and then, but for the most part, they're really going to struggle, especially against really good players. Like the jets are about to face over the next few weeks with, Oh my God, I'm just thinking about it. You got to play Odell Beckham this week. Then you got to play Antonio Brown. Then Alshon Jeffrey, yeah. But it, it's going to be rough. But Ben, but don't break yeah. the Force turnovers. Don't give up any deep bombs. Make them play in the red zone. Tighten up the field. That's got to be the mentality for this team. So those two on defense are pretty big. Uh, I think forcing the turnovers and making sure uh, to limit the deep ball is going to be huge. But offensively, I, I think I like the way you put it. You have to establish Le'Veon Bell early. Uh, make sure that 
let him get into his rhythm because that's kind of what the Jets did in this game. The first drive didn't go too well. I think they went to Bell on all three of the first plays on that three and out to start the game. But then he got into his rhythm after that. Uh, so except he, the one to Crowder. Yeah, other than that. But uh, if you if you let him get into his rhythm early, it's going to establish that play-action game and hopefully set up some deep bombs down the field because the Jets can't average six yards per completion in this game. You're not going to win games if your average pass is six yards down the field. So they're going to have to get that downfield game going. Anunua has to play better. Robbie Anderson, I, and I don't think Anderson played too bad. Darnold missed some throws. Obviously, there was that play at the end that wasn't too good, but I, I think those are the three big things for me. The biggest threat that Cleveland brings that you know that they're going to bring, and you can't go off of one game uh, because, you know, crazy things happen in this league all the time. It's just one out of 16. It is all we have to go off of right now, but just looking at their roster, you know what their biggest strength is. It's Baker Mayfield to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. And, and you know, throw Najoku in there too. It's Mayfield to those weapons in the passing game, and the Jets' biggest weakness is those cornerbacks, so... Bend, but don't break. Don't give up the big play. Play red zone defense. Force those turnovers. So forcing turnovers in the red zone on defense and then offensively, I think the Jets got to establish that passing game early. Yeah. Yeah, you put it perfectly. On defense, they're going to get burned. Baker Mayfield is going to throw for 200, 300 yards against the Jets. Probably 300 yards. I mean, they're going to get burned. And as you said, it's going to come down to make those tackles so they're not getting 60-yard touchdowns or whatever. Bring them down inside the 20, inside the 10 or whatever, and then play good defense. If you can hold the Browns to three, even if they're getting, you know, even if they're putting up monster yards on you, if you can, when you're in a short field, play well, that's a huge key to the game. Obviously, takeaways like they did last week, you can't take those for granted. And as you said, it's hard to replicate week in and week out, or I guess a year in and year out, but they have to force takeaways again. They have to play good run defense, which I think they're already a great run defense. They have to make the Browns one-dimensional by just stuffing Nick Chubb. Uh, they, they're not going to have to face Kareem Hunt or whatever, but... Um, and then lastly, I, I think it's going to, you're going to see a bit of a different game plan from Greg Williams as far as, I don't think he's going to sit back as much in coverage because I think he, Baker Mayfield is kind of at his best when he has all day to throw and he's so accurate and has thrown such a good ball that if he just has all day to kind of sit there and analyze it, if you, he, you'll find, he'll find somebody open and he'll get that ball to him. The way you beat him is not dissimilar to many young quarterbacks is you're going to throw the kitchen sink at him. And Greg Williams knows Baker Mayfield probably better than any other defensive coordinator in this league. He was his head coach for half the season and he was his defense coordinator in practice for a whole year he knows baker mayfield's weaknesses i think that's a big x factor for the jets in this game i think that's why they have a chance to win this game because as you said it's not a great matchup on paper for the corners and the receivers but if they can just get after him greg williams knows exactly what baker mayfield doesn't isn't, isn't necessarily good at uh i think the jets can really shut them down uh, on that defensive side of the ball but yeah you're gonna see a lot of terrell basham frankie louvu a lot of stunts, maybe, you know, fake blitzes that are, you know, where guys are dropping into coverage. I think the goal is just to confuse and thrash Baker Mayfield because you're going to give up those yards. It's how else are you going to, to respond to that? Um, on the offensive side of the ball, yeah, you put it perfectly. I would scrap the game plan against the Bills. Clearly it didn't work. I think what you're going to focus on is you have three receivers. You're missing Herndon, and Herndon's your big body. Um, but you have three receivers with very different skill sets, and that can complement each other well. When you add Bell and Herndon to the mix, that's what everybody's been talking about all offseason, is the Jets have five pieces that really complement each other well. But when you focus on this receiving group, you have Crowder who can dominate the underneath, you have Anderson who can dominate over the top, and you have Anuno who can dominate those, those medium routes. And I think that's going to be a big receiver for the Jets on Monday night. The Jets need to get Sam Darnold out of the pocket. They need to be running a lot of play action and looking for Anuno on those 15 to 25-yard throws. You saw Sam Darnold do that those last four weeks of the season. Don't get it twisted, Adam Gase. You may, be, you may know more football than anybody uh, in this on this planet, but you, you're not going to change Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has some innate gifts and some special talents and you need to utilize them. He's not paid Manning. He's 
He's not Ryan Tannehill. You don't need him sitting in the pocket every play. I know it's good for Sam Darnold to learn how to sit in the pocket and step up and whatnot, but get him out of the pocket, let him throw it. And yeah, it's established run with Bell early uh, and and force the Browns to bring eight in the box, and then you're going to free up things for Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is not as good when you saw what the Bills had to do where he had to sit and analyze coverages. That's not He's better under pressure. He's better uh, you know, when, when he's you know throwing a man coverage and whatnot. Um, so yeah, and as I said at the beginning of the podcast, if I'm Adam Gase, my first play call this game is going to be a play action to Bell and throw it deep to Robbie because I know the Browns got killed on play action last week. Uh, and, and if you can run that, you know, I could I could easily see a touchdown to open up the game. If not, you go back to the run with Le'Veon Bell, keep establishing it, and then open up the medium and deep, uh, you know, the medium and deep throws. Underneath stuff is always going to be there, and I think it's it's wise to have a guy like Crowder to to defend against those those blitzes that the Browns are going to throw at us. Um, but they got to utilize the deep stuff. And and as we've been talking about this entire podcast, they clean up the little things, specifically the penalties. You know, uncharacteristically bad penalty performance from from a Greg Williams unit. Um, they, they they can win this game. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, anything else you'd like to add on, on Cleveland, Michael, before we kind of wrap up the show or anything as far as, you know, the Jets over these next few weeks? Yeah, I actually want to talk about Greg Williams and how uh, he approached the Bills game. I was impressed with his approach in that game because I think we all uh, expected the Jets to come out and start, you know, throwing all these exotic looks out there. You know, we talked about it all offseason. You hear all offseason about oh, Greg's going to do this. He's this unique defensive coordinator, brings all these blitzes. And we've seen it over the years. You know, he's been coaching this league for a long time. But he came out and he played the Bills the way you're supposed to play them uh, as they are constructed right now with Josh Allen. And, you know, he just played straight up, tried to contain Josh Allen in the pocket. And it worked really well. The Jets almost had, uh, they had five takeaways in this game, almost had seven, gave up only 17 points, scored eight points. The defense was great. And Greg Williams played the Bills the way that he should play them and didn't, uh, he adjusted to the opponent rather than just kind of playing his game and just, you know, hoping that it works. He played the Bills the way he should play them based on the strengths of that team. So I was really impressed with that. But I agree with what you said. I think we're, it's going to be a lot different this week. Uh, Baker Mayfield is not Josh Allen. If you let him sit in that pocket, he's going to destroy you. Uh, his accuracy is great. He's a really smart, really smart quarterback already. I know he had the three interceptions, but that that those were kind of just. I mean, those weren't good throws that he threw last week, but that was more just kind of him being aggressive because he is an aggressive quarterback as well. But he's he's a guy who can sit in that pocket and pick your defense apart. He's not like Josh Allen. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of those exotic blitzes. And like you said, just that uh, just the experience of Greg Williams being uh, Mayfield's head coach last year and his defensive coordinator. That's that's an underrated advantage. And, you know, not, not that it's underrated. I think everyone's kind of aware of it, but. Uh, that, that's an advantage that teams don't get too often. A young quarterback who is going up against his head coach and defensive coordinator last year who game-planned against him in practice, or not game-planned, but, you know, called plays against him in practice every day for months and months. Uh, that, that's a pretty big advantage, and, you know, things are different now. He's developed after a year in the league. Their play calls are different, but, you know, just from a perspective of him getting the chance to be on the practice field with him, knowing his tendencies, knowing his preferences, his strengths, his weaknesses, which side of the field he prefers to throw to, which side of the field he's better at throwing, which routes he likes to throw, which routes he's best at throwing. Uh, just little things like that can give the Jets an edge. It doesn't guarantee they'll win, but uh, Greg Williams has a lot of valuable information up in that brain yeah. of his from being with uh, Baker Mayfield yeah. that should really help them. And I definitely think that uh, I was impressed with how he called the game against the Bills, uh, adjust to the opposing quarterback and the, the skill set of the other team's offense. And I think we're going to see a much different defensive game plan this week. 
Yeah, I like an Adam Gase with with his back against the wall. I like an angry team, and I love a Greg Williams who has knowledge of Baker Mayfield. I think you're right. I think he knows that Baker Mayfield loves to attack the seams. He knows exactly who Baker Mayfield is as a quarterback. And you mentioned, yeah, it's it's. I don't know if it's necessarily a different scheme per se, but it's probably an evolved scheme. Um, and and Baker Mayfield's had a summer to to work on some stuff, but I think it's going to be a big advantage for the Jets, and and I do think the Jets are are going to play a, a good game on Monday night. I have a generally positive feeling towards the game on Monday night. There are some games where I walk into I'm like, oh god, I have a bad feeling about this game. And and while 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 I predicted a win for the Jets, I kind of just had this this pit in in the back of my uh, I don't even know the, my stomach almost, where it was just like, oh god, I could totally see the Jets blowing blowing this game. But I have a generally positive feeling. We're not going to do any predictions. I could still see the Jets losing uh, in, in a good game, but. If the Jets can play good football, and, and as we've, we've used this phrase a lot, just tread water these next five games. You could just steal a game or two and just stay alive. I think they'll be playing meaningful games uh, in December. Week one was was underwhelming, but it wasn't discouraging. They have a lot of things they can clean up, um, but definitely showed uh, why this team can be good um, if, if they can work on those things. Um, just a few things for from the aesthetic uh, point of view. I thought the unis looked good. I'm excited to see the stealth black oh, in, unis in the in the daylight. Those green uniforms they work, and I was I didn't like them in the preseason, but I was like, let's wait and see how they look in the day where they're supposed to be worn, and they they looked good. They were yeah, really good at home uh, when when they're in their one o'clock games. They're supposed to wear the green jerseys, and then when it's a primetime game and at home, they're gonna wear the black jerseys, which we'll see on Monday. I'm excited to see that. See how the Jets look in primetime in the stealth black uniforms. Uh, it's going to be weird waiting till 8.30 for an NFL game since I'm, I'm from the West Coast. I mean, I, I know I did it last year, but on Monday night they were a little early, and then I was back home for the other primetime game. Oh, I guess I had to wait for, for Cleveland. Never mind. Um, last year. But um, it'll, it'll be weird waiting that long. But uh, I know, Michael, you're going to the game. Um, hopefully they, they, they show out for you. Um, oh, last piece of aesthetic news. What the fuck is up with these uncolored end zones? Jets, Man, I mean, it. like, listen, I, I, listen, I don't I, give a shit. You're uh, right, talking about the turquoise. I don't give a fuck it, what color oh it is. Just no color is bad. I don't, I'm sorry. I mean, I guess I should care more about how the team played. And if the Jets blew out the Bills, I'd be all, all for the, the uncolored end zones. But it just looks bad. It's like, why, I mean, what do you owe? You can't what they had in the, the Giants game was not good, though. That that was not acceptable. It literally yeah, looked right. like it, it was for the acceptable. Dolphins. There's no fucking excuse for it. You changed your uniforms officially in March, but you've had this color for like two years. I mean, four years, according to the Nike video, get it right, Jet. Literally just mix some paint together and spray it on. It is not that hard. Now, my hope is is that they were re-rendering the green, and then it was like, well, we're going to paint the end zones black for Monday night. Maybe they'll do that. But I don't care if it's black. I don't care if it's green. It could even be white for all I care. It just cannot be uncut. It just looks bad. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, this is this is the big topic around this team right now. I mean, like literally, like I know that's the, yeah, it's exactly the thing yeah, I should be. The nobody thing. cares about kicker, like who? No one gives a shit about the offense, the end zones. That's what really matters here. No, no one's talking think, about it, but that's okay, the problem with the team. I think the end zones are are a nice, you know, mirror, I guess, for for how the team played. It was just, it's nice. It has a nice like, there are some positives to it, but just generally overall underwhelming. And it honestly. And the other thing is just like MetLife already is just so boring. looks like a giant AC unit. The seats I, I agree with you there. Like the color so then when you're going to be there. Yeah. When there's no color in the end zone. It's just like, okay, so no color in the end zones, no color in the seats, no color in the stadium. Cause, cause like they, it's a, it's a, it's colored monotone, like all gray like that. Cause you have the two teams. So you don't have seats colored in like a lot of other teams do. The walls don't really pop out that much. I mean, they do a little more now cause you have 
the uh, the better green. You don't have a logo in the middle of the field. You need that colored end zone. So yeah, the fact exactly. That they, That's what I'm saying. The fact that they weren't prepared to have it colored the right way really doesn't make sense. So you yeah, know, hopefully they can get it neutral. Field. I wonder if they're going to do black though this week. That would be really that, cool. If they do I think that. that's the only way that makes sense to me is that if you're you were right that they had to recolor the end zones and they were like, well, uh, we're going to paint them black for for Monday. So I don't know. And then there was a soccer match on Friday. So it was like, we don't have time to to paint these green, and we're just going to paint them black next week, so we'll leave them empty from the preseason. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck the logic was, but fix it. And then also oh, that, fix That's 0-2 now. And last year they had in the Texans game. That it was even worse than this, where even they had those lines because, in the end zone. 0-3 because they did the same line thing in 2016. So Jets color the end zones because you're 0-3 with, oh, that, with no that's color. That's the issue. We, we solved fix, it. It's not, it's yeah, not Adam Fix Gaines, the end zones first. Not even the it's kickers. The end zone this is what it is. And then, the end zones. Yes, it's fixed. It's fix the end zones first, then fix the kicker in that order, and then maybe some corners and some depth. But end zones first. Big end zone guy. Uh, you can follow this big end zone guy at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow my personal account at Ben W. Blessington. Uh, and you can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nanny. You can listen to this podcast anywhere else. You listen to podcasts or search Cool Your Jets, and you can find this the best place for Jets content. Turn on the Jets.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. We, we hope the Jets can snag another W on Monday. I have a generally pretty good feeling about it, but boy, if this team loses in an ugly fashion again and they start 0-2 and, and they have to go into Gillette with, with a new uh, Antonio Brown and, and, and uh, playing for the Patriots, uh, look out. Uh, that's, all, that's all I'll say. But generally positive vibes, a lot of things they can clean up, and, and let's hope the Jets snag the W on Monday. Anderson, he's got it! That's a Jet touchdown! Dumps it to Bell, and Le'Veon Bell takes it in for the touchdown! Crowder across the 30, 35, 40. Crowder, on top of the Jets. He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. Good. It's intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jamison.